0: I'm not the one who's the best, I'm not the one who's the best, I'm not the one who's the best. Welcome to the J-Rod Concerts Podcast, episode two. Really excited about this one. And look, if you've seen Vampire Weekend in their latest cycle, touring for Father of the Bride, you've seen them take their live show to another level. And you may have seen that there's a multi-instrumentalist in the back playing all sorts of new instruments, giving new layers to the band, new sound, and just taking the Vampire Weekend concert experience to a whole different universe. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Greta Morgan. Greta Morgan is an American singer-songwriter. She's based in Los Angeles, and she has been in many successful indie bands like the Hush Sound, Gold Motel, and she performs also under the name Springtime Carnivore, uh, where she's released two albums. She joined Vampire Weekend two years ago, exactly almost to the day. And we are honored to have her today as the guest on the J. Roth Concerts podcast. Hello. Hey, Greta. Hi, how's it going? Good. Happy Friday.
1: Happy Friday. Wait, let's see if I can get my video on awesome. my, uh, my can't, my, are you recording video or is it just, you'll record I that?
0: I am, you okay.
1: yeah. Uh, hang on. Sorry about this. No problem. Um, hmm. My camera on my phone has been messed up. We might have to dial from the computer. Let's see. Let's see. Show my face. Start video. <laughs>
0: Ah, there she is. There we go. How okay. are you, Greta?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Oh, so I guess ha- people have been saying happy Friday, and it's like, well, it doesn't apply the same, does it?
1: <laughs> you mean just because everybody's schedule is Correct. different than normal with the corona?
0: Right, right. Yeah. Uh, um, but, anyway. but anyway, Greta, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I appreciate, you know, you're taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, yeah, a lot. So, you know, I mean, you've got such an amazing career and I want to talk to you about so much stuff, finishing off with Vampire Weekend and going back. But first of all, let, let me start, you know, just by asking you, how are you doing? Um, how's your family in, in Illinois? Is that where they are? How's everybody in your circle? doing? With the- oh,
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. My family, fortunately, is healthy and well. Um, and obviously my work has been very impacted. My brother's work has been impacted, but my parents are doing well and they they can work from home and are happy and yeah I'm I'm very very aware of my blessings during this period of time. Yeah. And and I'm also really grateful that I am a writer obviously in addition to being a touring artist because I you know I can work on writing when I'm home. How how are how is everyone in your circle doing?
0: My circle the same thank you for asking you know I mean everyone in Miami has kind of being responsible, but you always find the groups of people that are out trying to get to the beach and trying to be a little too close. So, you know, it's Florida, what can you do? We try, we, we try to change the concept, but what can you do? Yeah. I, <laughs> but anyway, Greta, well, thank you for your time again. Um, let me start by, wow, well, you have such an extensive and amazing career. I have to tell you, just, you know, just looking at the notes, it's really borderline pro- prolific. It's been amazing. So let me take, let me go back. You started playing piano when you were two years old, right?
1: I started, I wouldn't even, I would call it playing, you know, truly the way kids play, like the way they would play in the sandbox is how I played piano when I was a kid. But I did have an instinct for it and a desire to do it. And fortunately, my parents really nurtured that. And so they put me in essentially preschool music classes, where I learned how to write music notation before I learned how to write the alphabet. So I, I started kind of notating songs as a, as a very young kid. And fortunately, my parents always nurtured that in me, and then uh, it, I'm, I'm grateful that they did.
0: Absolutely. Do you, do you come from an artistic family?
1: My mom is really artistic. My mom is a painter and also plays classical piano, and my dad loves art, uh, mm-hmm. he loves theater, he loves museums, he loves traveling, but he's kind of, uh, he's kind of tone deaf, I'll just say that, you know, like mus- musically, he's never played music, he's never pursued music.
0: Sure, okay, that's awesome. So, okay, so you did that, and then fast-forwarding to, you know, to the to, to, to mid-2000s, you meet uh, Bob Morris when you were in seventh grade, and then you start The Hush Sound, of course, uh, which is a fantastic band. How did you meet Bob? Uh, Buck? I think he was three years older than you. How did you guys meet?
1: Uh, I think we met, I might've been a little bit older than that. I was probably in high school, but we mm. met through one of my neighbors. I had this neighbor who had a single, he was being raised by a single father, and it just seemed like his dad was always out of town. You know, one of those, it was one of those houses where he constantly was having parties. He was having bonfires. Nice. And, you know, it was like the first time I saw beer cans being opened. And uh, I think I met Bob at one of those parties. And the guys were always playing music. And at the time, I really wanted to be a music journalist because I had just mm-hmm. seen Almost Famous. And I got that uh-huh. grand idea, like many, you know, 12-year-olds who had that yes. idea. That
0: that Tiny dancer. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, totally. So <laughs> I... I was always just kind of witnessing the guys jam in the basement, playing music, and, and I kind of felt like an outsider. It didn't occur to me at that time that the piano pieces and the songs I had been writing could one day be part of a band. I always just imagined that I would write songs for myself for fun and that I would go on and have some other kind of career, but um, Bob heard my songs and really liked them and at a certain point wanted to start this kind of collaborative band, so... We started the Hush Sound in my mom's basement, the way many teenage bands started, and we began playing VFW halls and playing just local places, church basements, VFW halls, community events, you know, you name it. And we had this miraculous streak of beginner's luck, which was that we were signed very early when I was 15. I I did finish high school at this very strict college, Catholic college prep school that I attended, but I, I started touring when I was about I think we went to play our first CMJ when I was about fifteen, which is oh, yeah. Yeah. pretty pretty wild to be touring at that age. Absolutely. But yeah, so it was it was a great experience. I'm really grateful for that experience.
0: So it was it was a lot of like fast paced at the beginning. Is that why the debut album is called uh, "So Sudden"? Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, the band, it came together so quickly, and we never, we never talked about having aspirations beyond just making music kind of for ourselves and our friends. <laughs> so when the record came together that quickly, so sudden, felt like an appropriate name. It had been taken from one of the song lyrics, but it felt appropriate for just the pace of the way that the band kind of
0: crystallized. That's amazing. That's amazing, Greta. And then your second album, Like Vines, I actually, I distinctly remember being in college, you know, at Grace Anatomy A Day and seeing commercials. And I, and I and I do remember that song as I was reviewing your work in some of the commercials. So basically, you, you, you blew up with that second album. How did that feel to have, you know, your commercials with Grace Anatomy and with House and with a bunch of other stuff, you know, just like on TV?
1: Well, that was an interesting time because mm-hmm. it was kind of the bridge between when album sales actually generated revenue for bands and yeah. when we've entered this new streaming area era where it sort of feels like if you make any money from streaming, it's a miracle. <laughs> um, yeah. So I remember at the time feeling a little bit of that old school fear that, that was the thought like, am I selling out? You know, if I if I have my song in Grey's Anatomy, is that really cheesy? Or like, if I sell my song to this commercial, is that really cheesy? And I just remember our managers advising us at the time, like, you know, these opportunities don't come around very often. And, and uh, please take advantage of it. And also, it just helps your exposure, it'll help your song meet, reach more people. And so I was flattered. And I was grateful. And it's funny, because I don't, I haven't owned a tv in my adult life like i have mm-hmm. a projector and I'm, I'm always very intentional about when and what i'm watching very so nice. i i have only ever heard one of my songs in a commercial in a public place one time and it was in a bowling alley i heard one of my songs on a tv commercial that was playing on like 30 screens across every bowling alley so it's it's one of those funny things where i license the song to them but i've, I've never actually seen the songs in the show it yeah. may as it, it almost feels like it's not real in that sense. But it was it was hugely flattering. I'm glad that they responded to the songs in that way. And I do think that it helped build the band's what would the word be? Just just sort of like um, it helped extend our reach because I think people okay. that was also kind of the early era era of shazamming, you know, and I think we started <laughs> to get people coming to shows sure. saying, like, oh, we heard your song on the commercial and we really liked it. So, yeah. ultimately, those things were really positive.
0: Absolutely. Bill. Well, that's great, Greta. Okay, so, after the band kind of took a hiatus, uh, you moved to, to Los Angeles. And uh, this yeah. was you know, a big change for you, right? Because you, you grew up in, in Illinois? Yes. And h- how was that? Like, how was that transition for you? Like, th- did it just open, like, new artistic horizons for you? Did you have, a, you know, did you struggle to fit in at the beginning? How was the, that first period?
1: Yes. You know, it's interesting. I remember the day I decided to leave Chicago. Oops, sorry. I'm just adjusting the level of my computer here. I remember the day I decided to leave. It was like, it was winter. There was a blizzard. I was late. I went out to my car and I tried to open my car doors and the doors were frozen shut. And I remember it just occurring to me like, I don't have to do this like i i don 't have to live here anymore if i don't if i don't want to i don 't have to and a very close friend who I grew up with had an empty bedroom in her rental house in cal or in Los Angeles, and she invited me to come stay with her and I remember having this i this kind of fantasy that I would come to l a and all the doors would just open for me, and I would meet these new collaborators who I would work with. And I would, you know, I just kind of had that very naive, like, oh, Los Angeles is where everyone's dreams come true, and it happens so easily. And when I came out to L.A., I was so disheartened because I have this very kind of Midwestern reliability that so many mm-hmm. Chicago people have. Yeah. And so the the kind of Los Angeles culture of flakiness, sure. it felt it felt like such a personal rejection to me. And I just remember kind of, aiming to connect with people, to find creative collaborators, to find places to play. And it just, I felt like the door was slammed in my face. And so I spent about six months or a year in LA before going back to Chicago and starting this band Gold Motel with my kind of Chicago hometown heroes musically. You know, all the, all the musicians who I had really uh, loved and admired from Chicago, I kind of invited them to join the band and they all said yes, fortunately.
0: That's amazing. And, and I love the sound of that. You can definitely hear the sun. It reminds me of like each boy's pet sound, so many things. There's different textures that you certainly didn't have before. Okay. And then of course, you know, then you, you, you evolved into a little bit of a um, of a solo act, if you will, uh, with, with the music Springtime Carnival is your name. Um, Yeah,
1: springtime carnivore, like a wolf, like someone who eats the springtime. (laughs) Oh, carnivore,
0: yeah, yeah. So how how, how was that experience, uh, you know, just going to a solo artist?
1: Well, it was was interesting because uh, in Gold Motel, I'm so grateful still that one of my Gold Motel bandmates, who was also our engineer and producer, he showed me the absolute most basic recording technique that I would need to be able to record my vocals on my own. And when he imparted those skills to me, it opened up this whole new world because for the first time I could originate an idea and record it and bring it to completion. And so I started recording all of this music for fun. And it was kind of this newfound attitude of exploration. And I released Springtime Carnivore online anonymously because I didn't want to feel the expectation of hush sound fans or gold motel fans feeling any any kind of way about it. I just wanted to kind of have a clean slate. And I was really amazed when I released those songs that the types of people who were responding to it, the types of labels that wanted to sign me, the types of artists who were inviting me to tour, somehow it felt much more aligned with the artistic wavelength that I Mm -hmm. wanted to be on. And so all of these amazing things started happening. Um, my record came out on this label, Autumn Tone. I, you know, started touring with artists that I always really loved many, many true heroes from childhood. Like I opened for the zombies, you know, this as free. Yeah. Just, just like I had some really, really amazing experiences. And, um, I worked with Richard Swift. Rest in Peace, who was an incredible friend and an incredible producer. And I worked with Chris Cody producing the next record. And it's just been a huge learning experience. And it's funny because in Springtime Carnivore, I developed my like multi-instrumental kind of musicality, which I had not explored as much because when you're in collaboration with different musicians, you always have them play whatever their strength is. But when I was doing Springtime Carnivore, since I was recording much of it from home, I just started picking up other instruments and learning to play out of necessity. And that was kind of what led me on this path of joining other projects as like a supportive musician, as like a, what would they call it, like a side person.
0: Yeah, amazing, it's amazing. And, and those albums from Springtime Carnivore, both of them are amazing and they're still so different too um that second one especially I, I love that I was just listening to it this morning in the research just like how it starts right from when it goes into midnight room and I, and I think it's such a beautiful like you know the first line I build my world around you and it starts to develop like this beautiful relationship and then it's like a journey and then at the end in rough magic it's a little beat up isn't it and we can all relate to that right
1: yeah yeah so, so. I mean that it's funny because nothing about nothing in life ever feels cliche when you're living it, you know, but (laughs) when I look back at that album, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's like a pretty cliche breakup album. Whereas when (laughs) when I was going through it, it felt like, Oh my God, this is the most original experience I've ever had. You know, this is like the deepest heartbreak and the most sadness and like the, just these kind of like conflicting feelings existing simultaneously. There were all of these new emotional tones in my life. I hadn't experienced before, but when I look back at it, I'm like, yep, yeah
0: that's the breakup record <laughs> but but it's definitely not cliche I can because it has so much so many textures see it, it's not like a black. it's not like a black or white like I love you I hate you I, you know you suck or, or you're the best it's like there's a lot of journey in there and that's what makes it like really gut-wrenching for any of us who's like experienced that it's really like heavy it's really nice
1: oh thanks I appreciate that
0: <laughs> no problem okay so let's Let's graduate to uh, the latest chapter in your career, which is also the, the most high-profile one, Vampire Weekend. Uh joined them in 2018, was it?
1: Yeah, actually, was it, it was band? two years ago, almost to the day. I think I joined two, two years ago, like a week, a week from now would be the two-year anniversary.
0: That's amazing. Okay, And how was the first time you stepped on a stage as a live member of Vampire Weekend? Do you remember that moment, that feeling?
1: Well, it's funny. There's two, there's two moments I remember because we, we really, when I joined the band, they basically said, can you learn 60 songs? We're going to start playing in about four weeks, four or five weeks. So it went, it went so fast. I went from just this complete tunnel vision, like, you know, sounding out songs, memorizing, playing a hundred times in a row, like 10 hours a day. I was dreaming medleys of their songs, like, you know, I would just wake up in the middle of the night, it would be like the verse of one song going into the chorus of another song. It was just this complete whirlwind of learning. And then when the first show was kind of low key, it was a, a Father's Day show in Ojai, California. And I just remember thinking, this is so fun. I can't believe I get to be here. But the next show that we played was headlining Lollapalooza in Chicago which is a festival I attended all my teenage years (laughs) I played it once actually with Gold Motel but we played it like 11 a.m. on a small stage right so all of a sudden we are headlining Lollapalooza and I have my brother and his wife and my at the time seven-year-old niece on the side stage and she's been to many of my shows before but after we played the first couple songs i looked back at my family and just seeing the look on my niece's face like she was just like what what is going on that 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 whole experience of doing lollapalooza that was one of the greatest musical thrills i had experienced to that point i had never ever felt that level of energy of like tens of thousands of people responding to music it was it was it was surreal. it felt like a Disney movie. It felt like Hannah, Montana or something like and i had seen I had seen glimpses of that with the hush sound where we were really fortunate in the sense we could headline one or two thousand capacity clubs and people would be you know going crazy for songs that we wrote when we were like in high school, which is also a surreal experience of its own, but playing on that scale that was it was just such a such a privilege and such a surprise it was wild
0: that's awesome great a great story and uh, i want to i want to talk to you about a show that i was actually at i was i was um i was i was taking photos Okeechobee music festival that was I that mean, was it, the
1: last one pre-corona
0: it, it, it feels like a lifetime ago doesn't it and it was only like you know march 7th or something like that um okay so you know you guys played an amazing show it was cold night um, and I remember the virus could kind of sense it was coming, but no one really could know for sure. How was your experience as a performer going to Florida when it was starting? Were you hearing rumors? Did you thought it was safe? Did you get nervous? Or when when did it like hit that so that was like probably gonna be it for a minute?
1: That was really the breaking point from when it became kind of theoretical and conceptual to to real, and. I- And I remember there was a question of whether that festival even would be canceled because some other festivals had been canceled. And the reasoning these other festivals had been canceled was because they were more international. And something about this being more of like a local festival somehow in the organizer's eyes made it safer. But my mom sent me a number of these medical masks. And for the first time ever, I wore a mask on the plane there. And even when we were in Miami, Usually we're all pretty adventurous. Usually we pick, you know, on a day off, some people will go to a museum and some people will go kayaking and some people will go to the aquarium or whatever it is. And on our full day off, before we played the festival that night, everyone stayed in their hotel room, which was (laughs) like a first. So you could just feel this sense. Um, And I remember in the lobby, someone came up to Ezra to talk to him and this guy was like kind of really encroaching in Ezra's space. And I could see Ezra is so graceful and so respectful in any situation like that. But I could just see this different kind of tension where I was like, wow, people aren't people aren't supposed to be close to each other right now. And it's it was the first hint of that kind of discomfort with strangers. And then we went and played the show in that there were maybe maybe a dozen or two dozen people wearing masks in the crowd. But it was, you know, it's bitter. It's really bittersweet. On the way to the show, we were riding in a bus on the way to the show because it was two hours from where we were staying at our hotel in Miami. And the news was on in the background. And it was kind of these first reports of like, all right, it's come from overseas. And now America has to deal with it as well. And the band was joking as we went on stage, like everyone was kind of joking, saying like, well guys, it's been so fun working with you. Uh,
0: <laughs> no. You know,
1: all right, love you guys. It's been so it's been so fun playing with you and uh, see you down the line. And I remember at the time thinking, well, no way. This is not our last show. You know, mm-hmm. I was just like, no way. We'll, this will be a couple, two or three months. We'll take a break and then we'll reunite. Yeah. And it just, you know, after that, after that, when we returned, which was March 7th or 8th, it was like every single day, the scope became exponentially more serious as you know. Yeah. And um, it became clear that our year was drastically going to change. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was, it was wild. I mean, that was a wild period of time. I got sick, which I'll never know if it was the bug or just a bug. But basically, I had vertigo for a week, and then I had a fever for like five days after that. And then after I broke through this truly, truly psychedelic fever, unlike every anything I have ever experienced, uh, once the fever finally, finally ran its course and was gone, then the vertigo also went away. But it was it was just like a surreal science fiction feeling and I never get sick. I mean, I not, I hate I hate to say that knock on wood. I've been traveling the majority of my adult life since I was like 16 and I never get the flu. I don't get flu shots because I don't ever get the flu. So yeah, it was, it was surreal. And it's, You know i'm grateful that the band was able to do what we did to this point you know we played so many of the huge highlight shows we played msg we played red rocks we played the hollywood bowl we released the album and did all the tv shows and all of those kind of really big like career stepping stone kind of things um i'm grateful we got to do those but i honestly was so much more looking forward to what we had this year which was like All the smaller markets you know I had this I had just read the David Byrne book bicycle diaries and I like bought a folding bike and I was so excited to be in these small cities you know Burlington Vermont and Bend Oregon and Lewistown New York and New Hampshire and just like I that's that was the kind of stuff that I honestly was more excited about like these cities where you can play a show have a big event but at the same time you're basically in nature the moment you leave your hotel room so you know like everyone it's like i'm so aware of my privilege i'm so grateful to be safe and healthy and then at the same time i'm like mourning what we what we won't get to do this year
0: i know it, 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 it's it's human you know it's human even though we're we're blessed and, and all that but like yeah there's still plans and you still look forward to things so it's still a little disappointing i, I get that yeah well, that's awesome, Greg. I mean, you've been so generous with your time and, like, wow, it just flew by. Um, I could talk to you for days. Um, but yeah, this has, been, this has been super awesome. I, I thank you for, for, for the time you gave me. I, you know, I, I wish you continued uh, positive, positive vibes with all this uh, process, and, and I'm sure you'll be on the road soon and better than ever kicking butt with all your projects.
1: Thank you so much. And speaking of generous, thank you so much for making that donation. That is truly, no, I really, I really appreciate that. That's so nice. Why don't
0: you, thank you for bringing that. Why don't you just uh, you know quickly quickly tell why ACLU is such an important uh, thing to you and, and, and what you think people should, should, how they can help.
1: Yeah, well, I've supported the ACLU for a long time in um in the sense that I give a percentage of all my online courses that I've made to them. So I make online piano courses and songwriting courses that are just like work at your own pace, kind of video material. And I just think particularly, not to get too political, but particularly in this modern moment of this presidential regime, uh, civil liberties are being threatened more than ever. And I just think the ACLU has they have the organization and the skills and the track record, and I trust them, and I I follow the work that they're doing, and I just feel like it's a it's an important place to give money right now if it's possible.
0: that be great. I mean, perfectly said, Greta. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend and uh, continued success.
1: Thank you. Yeah. You too. Have a great day. Okay. Bye, Jamie.
0: Bye, Greta.